week's message, George preaches on what are we thinking about. The message will start with a short audio clip before the preach. German Coast Guard. We are thinking, we're thinking. What are you thinking about? Some of us might be in that place where we are sinking, and my question to you is what are you thinking about? Because there's something in that if you go into Romans 12, we're going to be in uh, Romans 12, verse 2. And it speaks about just thoughts and the power of thoughts and how God wants us to partner with His truth, with His promises in terms of our thoughts. And we need to learn the language. That was about learning English. But we need to learn the language of the kingdom. We need to learn the language of God's heart, of His promises, of His principles, of the Spirit's interpretation so that we can be in that place that when we feel like we're sinking, there can be a buoyancy that lifts us up because of God's working in our lives. And when we look at this thing of thoughts, they're so powerful. You know, thoughts can hold you back, they can push you down, they can pull you around. Thoughts can feed you lies and get you eating on a diet of that that's got no substance, but it's like those sugar-filled calories. But also, thoughts can lift you up. They can raise you up. They can give you a buoyancy and a courage and a, and a fortitude and a belief and a confidence and a, and a faith. Thoughts can do that as well. And so when, when we look at a clip like this, it's so important, even though there's humor in it, just to see the meaning. What are we thinking about? As we've come here today and we've been through a long week, what have you been thinking about? What's been weighing upon you? Because I know we come from different situations. Some of us are maybe in the place of, am I going to be able to put petrol in my car or afford to keep the electricity on? Um, and we might be in that place and our thoughts are wrapped up in and around that and our own sufficiency of how we're going to make it happen. Others of us are looking at how we're going to invest into foreign nations and foreign countries and into commodities, and we're in a different place, but our thoughts are still pulled. No matter where we find ourselves, there's that taking place where we're getting pulled this way and that, and there are challenges that affect us that cause our thoughts to be provoked. Uh, one of the things in, in ministry, uh, j- just to be transparent, is ministry can be, an, and pastoring can be a, a bit of a, a roller coaster place because at one moment you're celebrating new life and doing dedications, another moment you're performing a wedding, another moment there's a funeral and you've got to be journeying with people through life challenges, and, and that can be a draining place. And the key is this where are your thoughts in the midst of those circumstances and moments that you find yourself? Because you cannot allow what they call groupthink. Have you heard that word before? It's quite popular today group thought, groupthink. It's where you get, um, you get brought down to the lowest common denominator in a group setting. We cannot be allowing the world to set the groupthink. We're needing to allow the spirit to be defining our thoughts. We're not looking for some guru to be our thought shaper. We've got uh, God's promises, God's word that are illuminated through the Spirit of God that's breathed it to uh, renew that, to renovate that, and to bring reformation in our thoughts so that we can live in the fullness of transformative life. So we needing to be allow that to be happening, and uh, our thoughts matter. Craig Rochelle said this quote, and uh, really it's the key, key quote I want to build around today. He said this, 
Our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Let me say that again. Think about this. Our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What direction are your thoughts moving you in? Ask the person next to you, what direction are your thoughts moving you in? You don't have to answer. It's to provoke that answer in your own heart. Keep it, keep it to yourself. You can share it if you want to, but not right now. If your thoughts are full of faith, if they're full of God's promises, then you are being transformed into His image and experiencing the fullness of His life more and more, moment by moment. But maybe you're in that place where your thoughts are more negative. Maybe they're a little bit more critical. Maybe they're a little bit more toxic. And when you find your thoughts on that place, you find it hard to, to live victoriously. You find it hard to be full of faith to overcome the situations you're in. You find it hard to follow after the one who always leads you in triumph because your thoughts are being led in different directions. And so what's filling your thoughts? Because this is directing, even as we've said, the, the direction of our lives. We, we're following after where our thoughts are going. I mean, there's something even about being new covenant um, New Testament believers, where we've got to be aware of this thing, we can spiritualize sin consciousness over Christ consciousness. Sin consciousness means this, Lord, I, I repent, I've thought that thought again, and I mustn't think it again, but now I have, and so I repent again, and, and Lord, I, I'm actually, I thank you for your forgiveness, but have you really forgiven me? So I'm repenting of doubting my forgiveness, and we can be caught up in sin consciousness rather than Christ consciousness. It's a shift in the way we think, because when we realize we're in a pattern, we shift our thoughts to the one who can get us out of the pattern. It's not being sin conscious, it's being Christ conscious, because he's the one that came and defeated death and sin. So I turn my focus towards him and I know that it's by his blood that I'm washed clean. I know it's by his stripes that I'm healed physically, spiritually, emotionally. I know it's through him who is peace that I have peace with God. I know it's because he became sin that I don't have to be locked in and oppressed by that I can know that I get to be and enter into right standing and know that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So I shift my consciousness and even we can become religious-sized to the point that we're even being oppressed by that. So what thoughts of, of filling our heads? Are they bringing us into freedom or into bondage? Because here's the thing, if they're bringing you into bondage, it's not the truth. It can be a fact, but it's not the truth. It can be true, but it's not the truth. You see, the truth sets you free. So you know you're walking in truth when you're walking in greater measures of freedom. So there's the beauty of that. And, and I just want to pick up Romans 8, 5 uh, to 6. It speaks to us, and we'll get to Romans 12. I'm going to read from the NRV um, in this in this moment, but this speaks to us, how are we thinking about how we think? How are you thinking about how you think? Because often we don't. We just, we just handle the moments as they come, or maybe I'm speaking concerning myself, and we're going to see later that we need to take our thoughts captive. But Romans 8 verse 5 says this, those who live, and we can put it on the screen, those who live according to the flesh, what do they think about? Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. What this is saying is, if your mind is set on what your flesh desires, and that can be broken down in other translations to your old nature, to that old sinful self that's been dealt with. We know in Romans earlier, it says that we are dead to sin and we are alive to God. Um, so this is saying that we allow those old thoughts to come up. Those who have their minds set on what the flesh desires, you're going to live according to the flesh. Where are your thoughts resting? 
If your thoughts, if your minds are set on what your flesh desires, you're going to be living that out. But here's the beauty. The next verse says, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit, what are they thinking about? Those who live in accordance with their Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. If you set your mind on what the Spirit desires, on His illumination, what He's saying to you, what He's uh, ministering to you, you're going to live in accordance. You're going to live in agreement. You're going to live in, in uh, if you look in the thesaurus around that, you're going to live in harmony with what He's doing. There's going to be a, a, a sound of, um, of being in tune with the heartbeat of God, with the Spirit of God that's going to be resounding from your life. But where are you setting your thoughts? Because that's going to determine the outworking. It goes on to say in verse 6 that the mind governed by the flesh is death. None of us want that. It's saying that if, if our mind is set on the flesh, we're going to live in accordance, in harmony with the flesh, with that old nature, not being true to who we are now. And there's going to be that harmony. And actually what it's going to bring you into is the reward of your flesh, which is, or your old nature, which was death and slavery. But we know in Christ, we don't need that. We have been given a new nature. We want to live in harmony and synergy with that, where we know that we've been brought into freedom. And that word salvation means this. It means free from all the effects of the fall. I'm no longer bound by all the effects of the fall. I am bound and I'm free to live in the fullness of the resurrection. I'm not defined by a fall. I'm defined by a resurrection. Resurrection life defines me. Wow, that was a good word. I can feel it. Uh, and so our lives are moving in the direction of your, of your thoughts. But what's defining your thoughts? I want to take it a step back. Uh, because it's not only what you're thinking about, and Rich shared so powerfully into this last week, I encourage you to listen to it if you haven't yet, but it's what are you, what are you declaring? What are you speaking? Because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. And so how do we define and lock down our thoughts? It's by knowing the declaration of God's Word. It's about hearing His Word so that faith can come, and that's going to start to affect our thoughts. What are you listening to? What is the inner dialogue? What is the narrative? Who's defining your story? Uh, what, where, where's that taking place? And how many of us uh, know that often there's a little bit of, and I'll talk about group talk, but there's also self-talk that goes on in our lives. We, we talk to ourselves. Anyone here admits that they talk to themselves? You see, it's actually a good thing in a church setting. It's a bad thing if you're on the tubes in London and you're sitting there and you know there's only one other person in your carriage and they're talking and you know they're not talking to you. I've, I've experienced that. It can be a little bit nerve-wracking. But, but uh, self-talk or inner dialogue as a believer is a wondrous thing. It's a beautiful thing. I want to say the most powerful preacher in your life shouldn't be T.D. Jakes or John Gray or Samuel Rodriguez or um, uh, Stephen Furtick. The most powerful preacher in your life should be you taking God's Word and declaring it over your own life, declaring it in the midst of your life, that when you are in conversations or situations or circumstances that could be intimidating, you are connecting with the one who breaks every barrier, the, the chain breaker, the way maker, the one who causes prison doors to fling open, because when you are aware and in contact and living in synergy with, with who Jesus is in your life, let me tell you, you won't be um, intimidated by what's surrounding you. So you need to be preaching, and there needs to be that inner dialogue. And sometimes in my life, that inner dialogue is pleasing to God. But sometimes in my life, that inner dialogue can be very destructive. And I find myself thinking things like this. I hope I said that in my inner voice. I hope that didn't come out of my outer voice, because uh, there's some certain thoughts, you know, that run rampant with you in moments. And uh, you don't want anyone to know that. So in the midst of talking to people, you blush a little because you know what your inner voice has been saying. Anyone, no hands going up, will agree with me in that situation. 
There's that thing about your, what, what is that inner dialogue? And what is it focused on? Is it focused, as I've said, is it going and getting caught up into low-level living? Is it getting caught up in your old nature? Is it getting caught up in um, the old things that Jesus has paid the price of that you no longer need to live with? He says you're not true to that, you're true to this. Is it living in that old um, sin-bound nature? Is it living with negativity? Is it living with critical thinking? Or is your mind controlled, alert to, alive to, sensitive to, seeking the Spirit's voice. We have a comforter who walks alongside to guide us and lead us into all the fullness of life. And are we living, are we hearing His voice? Are we allowing Him to speak to us um, through the written word, but also through rhema word, those moments where He just um, speaks to us directly? Are we, are we allowing our voice to be God-honoring? Is, is, is that dialogue honoring God? And how we see Him and how we behave in accordance with Him, but in how we treat others on behalf of Him. Is that inner dialogue reflecting that? Is it focused on who Jesus is? Uh, you, you, you might say, well, what does that look like, George? Uh, you get different scenarios of that. God-centered, focused, inner dialogue, and then you also get the negative base. Here's the God-centered one. You could be saying, and you could be speaking like this, Father, I thank you. Rich led us through that declaration. I thank you that I'm highly favored. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I am worthy because I am in Christ and he is worthy of it all. I thank you that my life has purpose and meaning. That's why you paid the sacrifice for it. I thank you that I can be full of faith because even when I'm faithless, you are always faithful. I thank you that my mind is full of, as that promise went on to say, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. I forgot to read that. There's the outworking of that as we led by the Spirit. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And I thank you that my mind is full of life and peace. I thank you that you give me divine energy, just the infusion of your life, that spiritual life that we have in you to do everything that you've called me to. I thank you that um, you have blessed me with everything I need for life and godliness. That's what uh, we read in God's Word concerning us. I thank you that I can live in anticipation of your goodness. It means I'm not only expecting it, but anticipation means I'm preparing in advance. I'm making space for it in my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make space in my life, in my day, in this moment, in my workplace, uh, here at church on a Sunday, in my relationships, in my marriage, in my parenting. I'm going to make space for your goodness to be on display. That's, um, I'm starting to speak through these things, remind myself of these things. I thank you that I'm called to be salt and light. I'm called to release the God flavors and the God colors um, in and through my life that others can come to know you. That, that's, um, and I'm obviously taking a lot further, that's some God-centered in a dialogue, but how many of it, us is it like this? It was literally this this morning, which is a little bit more negative. My inner dialogue. The alarm bell goes. Alarm wakes me up. I know I need to get ready for church. I hit the snooze button. I'm trying to sleep. I'm thinking, no, I just need a little bit more sleep. And then my blankets are being pulled away. It's a, it's a cold, misty day in Durban. We don't often have those sort of mornings. But there is this little person in my bed who's pulling my blanket away. Why do I even put up with these little people in my home? And... and and uh, I know that, you know, I'm tired. I know that maybe the week is coming at me too quickly. I know that there's too much, and I think I just cannot handle it. I don't have the capacity. I don't have the willpower. I don't have the energy. I don't have the, um, the, the constituency to actually handle what's coming at me. And we fall into this negative spiral where we think, I just cannot get ahead. I just cannot make a go of it. I'm just getting nowhere. And we start off in the midst of the vacuum. You see, it's a total different starting place. And how's your inner dialogue? And how are you being prepared 
for all that God has prepared for you in advance, that you can live in agreement, you can live in synergy, you can live in harmony with what he's saying. And so here's the statement that I said earlier. Your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And here's a question. Are you excited about the direction your thoughts are taking you in? Are you excited right now about the direction your thoughts are taking you in? Because some of us have a dream and a desire in God, and I want to live in the fullness of this. This is what I desire, and this is what I hope for, and this is what I long for. But, um, Lord, you need to do that supernaturally, but I'm just going to live in this negative space. And there's no reality that the thoughts that we are thinking are going to lead us into the fullness of what the promise is. And so something's got to shift and change. If we're wanting to live in the fullness of that, something has got to shift and change. And uh, we've got to come out of that place so that we can allow our thoughts to direct us into what God is saying. And that's where we look at, um, even as the encouragement came earlier, that just to be in agreement and the power of agreement, as Rich said, we look and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Let me come to this word. It's living and active. It's all the principles. It's all the promises that reveal the person of Jesus and the power that's been made available to us because he's seated on the throne. But not only is seated on the throne, he is alive in me. And what are the promises that I can start to believe that don't just allow me to function as this world would have me function, as group thought would have me function, as the thought shapers of the day would have me function? How can I, Lord, take your promises, your truth, your principles, because of the person of who you are, Lord Jesus, to know your power in my life, that I can live a according to your dream, your plan, your purpose. How can I live in the midst of that? How can I come into agreement with that? And we read this in Romans 12, verse 2. This is where we get into, um, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It puts it in a different way. I know this is a verse we've heard so many times, and so I just trust that there'll be a freshness even as we read it um, in the New Living Translation. It says this. We know in the NIV it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed. That word conformed, if you look at it, the Greek word really means this. Don't be fashioned after this world, but be transformed. The word transformed is metamorpho, which comes from metamorphosis. It means that changing of a caterpillar into a, a butterfly. We become a totally new creation by the renewing of your mind. That's not just talking about a renewal. That's not just talking about a renovation. That's not just talking about um, uh, a reformation of thoughts. That's talking about a, a whole new... Uh, opportunity that's available to us that comes from heaven's agenda, not just um, an upgraded version of earth's agenda. So it says, do not be conformed, um, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But let's read in the New Living Translation. We got it. Oh, no, sorry. Don't have it on the screen. That's why I'm reading it. You're going to have to listen to me. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God. Let me, let me say this again. Don't copy the behaviors. Don't copy the customs don't be fashioned after what this world is offering you, but let God, you see, there's something we need to hear, God's involved, God's in the midst of the process, but let God do what? But let God transform you. He's the one that comes and releases his transformative power that brings that newness, that renovation, that reformation in our lives. But let God transform you into a new person, new species, if you look at what that word actually means. It, brings, it means a total newness. By doing what? Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. 
You see, our thoughts are so key. We cannot stay in old thought patterns and expect new moments in God and new experience and new freedom and new life when we're locked in the old. We have to allow God to come and transform us because we change the way we think that makes that access point that we can receive His transformative power in our lives through our faculties in every area. Then change the way you think. And the beauty of this is this is not me changing me. There's so much pressure on me changing me, you know. If you're looking at it, I'm not talking about positive thinking. Positive thinking is I'm going to change me by thinking in a certain way. I'm talking about transformative thinking. Thinking in a way that allows God's power to come and transform me. I'm not saying you've got to convince yourself to be something that you're not. I'm saying you need to get convinced and fully persuaded that you are who he says you are already. That he's already declared in advance. There's a total different moment. And I think we've slipped into, I'm afraid of positive thinking. So we've stopped transformational thinking. And we're losing out on a promise and something that's powerful and available in us that causes us to come into agreement and to activate God's power in our life as transforming power to be at work in our lives. So this is not me changing me. This is God changing me through the renewing of my mind. It's stopping the negative lives, uh, lies and it's allowing God's truth to be the voice that resounds loudest in my life. And it only happens when I align my thoughts with God's thoughts. That's where it takes place. I come into agreements with God's thoughts and God changes me, not into a better version of myself, but into a new person. It's not about becoming a better version, but a new person. And uh, I, I love in... in um, the one commentary, it says this, when our thinking lines up with God's word, it will affect complete transformation in our lives. When your thinking aligns with God's word, it will affect complete transformation in our lives. It doesn't that encourage you just to, to start to say, you know what, I'm not going to allow culture, I'm not going to allow other voices to shape my thoughts, but I'm going to allow God's word, God's spirit, God's promise, God's dream. God's purpose. I'm going to allow that to be the, the thing that defines my life because I'm wanting total transformation into that. I don't want to be some mutated, uh, I, I don't know what degree of half of God's promise, half of the world's promise, half of my peers' thoughts. No, I want to be the exact representation of who God has called me to be as I look in the mirror of his word. So it's let God change you into a new person by changing the way you think. Because here's the key. So much of what life is about isn't about what happens to you. So much of what life is about is what you think about what happens to you. It's not about what happens to you. It's about what you think about what happens to you. You know, so often we're moving in that place of a high-stress environment, and we stress, and we stress, and we stress. And what stresses us is not how much we have to do. What stresses us is how much we're thinking about how much we have to do. But if we had only kick into it, there would be a total different moment. It's like being in that place where we can just recognize, you know, it's how do you face that stress? You change the way you think. So in the midst of that, I get to know this, Lord, your power is real. Your grace is sufficient. When I'm weak, you carry me. And in my weakness, your strength is made perfect. So I'm actually going to see this stress as an opportunity to tap into your divine power, which goes beyond my circumstance and that which is pushing against me. And I know that there can be transformative power that's not only going to change me, but change the situation so that it reflects your glory. Where, where are we landing in the midst of that? 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3. How do we do this? It's 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3. I do have this one, NIV. We can put it up. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Our chief justice knew that this last week. Though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. 
The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. We don't need guns or knives or, or any of those sort of things, but we've got spiritual weapons that are dynamic in power in their working. On the contrary, it says, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The weapons we fight with are, are weapons of praise, weapons of prayer, weapons of fasting. We get to put on the armor of God that is not only defensive, but it's offensive in its nature against the, the kingdom of the enemy. When we get to allow ourselves to have the sword of the Spirit sensitive to the Spirit's leading so that there's a sharpness and an accuracy to our lives where we get to put on the breastplate of righteousness. What that means is we can walk into a situation and we can walk in there in right standing with God and where one man or one woman walks into a situation in right standing with God, it puts the enemy into wrong standing and wanting to flee. There's something offensive about the armor of God when we start to wear it towards the enemy. We've got the shield of faith. It's like that Captain America type a moment. This isn't going to cause me to be the shield that protects people, but it's going to be a shield. This, my faith is going to be a weapon that can start to deconstruct areas of bondage for other people. I'm going to see my faith at work to bring others come into freedom as I start to exercise it. Uh, we've got the helmet of salvation. We get to not only have that change our thoughts, but we get to lead other people into an experience where they can know God's salvation, His healing, His freedom from oppression, is bringing them back into a place of wholeness and wellness. Um, and being free from the effect of the fall, even as I've said that that word means. We get the belt of truth, and the truth sets us into freedom, and we get to set other people into freedom, and our shoes are prepared with the readiness of the gospel, and it's this gospel of peace where we get to go into war-torn lives and families and marriages and workplaces, and, and we get to take peace the peace of God. And we don't only get to take it. What are we told in Scripture? We get to speak it and we get to release it over households so that we shift atmosphere. Because we're not only called to be thermometers that walk in and we think, what's the temperature of this household? I want to say you get to be a thermostat. And when you walk in carrying the atmosphere of heaven, you get to change the atmosphere of whatever environment you get to. And you get to set it to an expectancy and anticipation of God's goodness breaking out because you're saying... The light of God and the flavor of God has just come into this place through me. Can you smell the fragrance? Because it's different to the stench of death. It is the fragrance and the aroma of life, and you can all partake of it. There's something different when we set the atmosphere rather than just try and read the atmosphere. And so it says that we demolish these strongholds. And a stronghold, it's this Greek word, akuroma. It speaks about a fortress or it speaks about a prison. Some, when we get into these ways of thinking, it causes this, this built-up fortress and, and we become imprisoned in these deceptions. We become imprisoned in these lies. Jack Hayford says this of a stronghold. A stronghold is a distinct barricade against your future. It's a distinct barricade against your future. Your, the enemy is trying to put thoughts in your mind, strongholds in your mind that will actually barricade you from coming into God's desired future for your life. They are barriers against your becoming the fullness of what God has called you to be. They are barriers against your life happening according to God's purposes. That's what this, this word akuroma means. This is this, this thing. And we, we get into there by wrong thought patterns, by, by believing deception, believing lies. And the only thing that is going to bring us out of that place is when we come to the mirror of God's word. Because we can think, ah, oh, this is how, you know, you can be so deceived. I live in a place where I'm still 28, where I've got a full head of hair, and that I have the six-pack that I never, ever had. 
It's a hopeful place. And let me tell you, when I look in the mirror, I think, no, hang on, something's not matching up right here. And I have to ask Leanne to go and buy me facial creams and head rubs and uh, whatever else I can get to try and get to this picture of water. But when we come to God's Word, it, it, it shows us, the beauty is this, it's not just the mirror that shows us what we aren't. It's actually a mirror that shows us who we're called to be. And that if we'll keep looking at it, if we'll keep believing it, if we'll keep focusing in it, we be transformed into the reflection. We become, we become the representation of that which we're seeing in God's Word. But we've got to take time to look in it so that we don't become caught up in falsity. I heard about this one, um, was one pastor saying this, that they had set up an environment at their church just for a little bit of fun. And what they would do is they would have this, um, what do you call it, capture the flag. When you all come in and you try and get the flag, it was getting a little bit robust. And so they set a time, we'll do it at 8 a.m. And anyway, the pastor came in and he got ready for this capture the flag moment. But he realized it was about quarter past seven. He was waiting. When the bell rang at eight, they'd all run to, to get the flag. But he realized he heard a rustling in his closet. And uh, I think it was the youth pastor who had got there at about five in the morning, was in the closet and thinking, I'm going to, as that bell rings, get there first. And so what this pastor did is he got a chair and he just put it under the handle and said, I found you out. I'm not letting you out. And so this guy was trapped in there. But he actually, uh, initially the guy tried to get on and rattle it, but then he moved the chair away. But this person just thought, no, I'm stuck here. I, I, I can't get out. He was trapped in this dece deception. He was trapped in this lie. Actually, the pastor went on to say he was having a counseling session a bit later with a couple. And, you know, it was a family moment. And the kids were crying. The dad was crying. The wife was crying. And in the midst of this, he heard a rattling in the ceiling. And this youth pastor's face popped out looking down at him. And he had to say, go back to the closet. I'll open the door after the session. But that was open the whole time. And that's what this thing, Okuroma, that's what this prison will do. It'll lock you into this place of believing a lie and not believing that you can actually have everything that God has made available to you. So how do we handle this? I love it. It goes on to say this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. The only way you're going to know that it's setting itself up against the knowledge of God is if you have a knowledge of God. And if you being alive to a spirit reminding you that's not true of who God is, that's not true of his character, that's not true of his nature, that's not true of the way that he fathers, of the way that he loves, of the, of the way that he shows mercy, that's not true of the way that he disciplines. Because when he disciplines, it's not punishment and to break you down, but he disciplines you in love to bring you into the fullness of your identity and destiny. There's a difference about that. And so we need to know what God's word is saying so we can tear down those false arguments. And it goes on to say, how do we do that? How do we tear those things down? We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I love that. It means we're not being, the ca we're not being taken captive. We are taking you captive. And if you come to me as a thought like that, don't think you're going to have your way and just get to run away I'm going to take hold of you, and I'm going to bring you to acknowledge and bow down before who Jesus is. I love it. You think I'm making that up, but this is how it says it um, in the New Living Translation. We capture the rebellious thoughts, and we teach them to obey Christ. You don't get to run away. You can't, we're going to capture you. We're going to teach you to obey Christ. The Passion says it like this. We capture, like prisoners of war, every thought, and we insist that it bows down in obedience to the anointed one who destroys every yoke. Isn't that beautiful? I love that passage. It reminds me, of, I'm a bit of a Hawaii 5 fan. And when I watch Hawaii 5 and they get some terrorist or, and they bring them into this, in the basement, this other room, 
It's almost like a dungeon and fortress, but it's not the wrong one I've been talking about. It's the right one. It's the interrogation chamber where we see these prisoners of war, these rebellious thoughts being subjected to the authority, to the preeminence of who Jesus is and all of his authority. And so we take these thoughts and we do that. I think it was Rich who shared with me. I might get it wrong who it was. I think it was Graham Cook. I think you you mentioned it here in a sermon. When Graham Cook had one of these moments... um, when he felt just a, a, a demonic attack coming against him in his room. And so all he, and he felt this oppressive force. And all he did was he got up, he, he, he shut the door, and he anointed over the door. And then he turned, and he, and he said, now I've got you captive. And he put on the praise and worship music, and he started to praise God. And he could feel that he was terrorizing this demonic presence. Sometimes uh, we've got to terrorize the enemy that comes to terrorize us. So we take these thoughts captive. So the first question is what negative thoughts are dominating your thinking? I remember being in a, at, a, at a time with Leanne at a church where they were speaking about, let's just laugh at that, um, the lies of the enemy. Let's just laugh at his lies. And I'd been through, it was like a rich time. There'd been great sessions, great speakers, and it was a guy I hadn't heard before. And the session was called, let's just laugh at that. I mean, I'm on a journey for deeper, healthier spirituality. I don't want to be in the session. So I go there, let me tell you, negative thoughts, negative dialogue, I was not wanting to be there. Anyway, I walk into the session, a man by the name of Steve Backland, and he starts to say, we're going to go through, through some lies, and we're going to laugh at that, literally. So he took us through a lie, um, so we were all pastors in that setting, took us through a lie, um, you too old to be effective in ministry, let's laugh at that, ha, 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 and people are like forcing it. Um, you don't have enough gifting to be effective in ministry. Let's just laugh at that. You don't have... You, you never were really called in the first place. You don't have the worth to be able to minister on my behalf. And, and it got a bit serious, people laughing, but you know they laugh. But then you would hear when it hit one that was true. Because there's, some, there's something about hearing a lie inside that it's just the voice. But when you hear it spoken, you can recognize it's a lie. There's something about recognizing the lie. And then he started to say once like this, you're not attractive enough to be in ministry. And then you'd hear someone just totally burst out laughing as they heard how ridiculous that is as it was coming out of their own mouth. And they got to laugh at that thing. Sometimes you've got to laugh at the lie of the enemy because God sits on his throne and he laughs at the ploys and the schemes of the enemy. There's something about that that's laughing. It's saying, I'm not going to give you credence, or I'm not going to give you more um, uh, serious attention that you deserve. This is a laughable matter because there's no truth in it. So we've got to start to hear those lies, and maybe it's a lie like this. I don't have the capacity to get it all done. I'm not a good enough parent. You know, as a housewife, I don't know how to cook. So I'm, am I really... Now, you, you might, some of these you might laugh at if it sounds like truth to you. Some of these you might want to wince at and cry a little bit. Maybe as a, a dad, I don't know how to bra. I'm not a handyman. How am I going to, this is literally me. <laughs> I'll laugh and not cry at this one. How am I going to model this out? I get to take them to Rich. He bras brilliantly. But, but you know, my, my family, this is getting personal quicker. My, my family don't respect me. <laughs> Let's just laugh at that. Um, You know, I'm always going to battle. I don't have what it takes. I'm not going to be able to provide. Am Am I really worth it? Am I really highly favored? And you see, our thoughts can land up in all these sort of places. What do you do with the midst of those thoughts? Here's the second thing I want to ask you. You need to take those thoughts captive. You need to lock the door. 
You need to put on some anointed praise and worship and prayer and reading of God's word and declaration. You need to get your preach on in that moment because here's the second thing I want to say. What spiritual truth are you going to take to demolish those strongholds? You get to take the truth of God's word where you, when he says you don't have what it takes, and you, but, but God's word says his divine power, not just normal power, not carnal power, not fleshly power, not my power, his divine power has given me everything I need for life and godliness. And I'm going to start to believe that truth. I'm going to believe this, that there's greatness in me, not because of who I am, but because of the greatness of the one who is in me that is greater than he that is in the world. There's greatness that I'm called to walk in because Christ is in me. And I'm not going to be overcome. I'm not going to be weighed down. I'm not going to be kept low because the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead is raising me into the fullness of my call and purpose in Jesus. And you've got to get your preach on. Because faith comes by hearing so that you can be filled with faith because you're no longer called to be a prisoner. You're no longer called to stay behind deceptive closed doors, but you're meant to step out and into the fullness of what God has for you. Not only for you, that you might then become not just a, thermo, a thermometer, but that you might live as a thermostat. You, be, you get to become an atmosphere carrier for the transformative power, the redemptive power, the restorative power of the grace of God at work in and through your life. What are you thinking about? Are you sinking? What are you thinking about? And what is that narrative? Who's preaching loudest in your life? I want to say, you need to listen to some good preaching. I've listened to some bad preaching. And the majority of it was me in the earlier years. <laughs> One or two elsewhere. But I want to say, when you take God's promises and declare that over your life, that is some good preaching. Don't let other people, don't let religiosity try and define your spirituality for you. Allow God's word and his spirit to define that as you find his truths that show you through the word who you are, how he sees you, how you call to operate, that you might be fully equipped for every good work he's called you to. Next week we start a series in Ephesians called Fully Equipped. I love that. We've done the church unstoppable. Now we need to know this, that we are fully equipped. Turn to someone and say, fully equipped. You are fully loaded. You are armed and dangerous to be effective for the kingdom of God. Preach to each other in your small groups. Preach to yourself. Preach to your families. And uh, let's proclaim the truth of God's word. Amen. Let's say amen. So be it. Amen. Amen.